afternoon, we are studying what Scripture teaches about the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, as summarized and confessed in Lord's Day 22 of the Heidelberg Catechism. So we will now read Lord's Day 22 together. What comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? Not only shall my soul after this life immediately be taken up to Christ my head, but also this my flesh, raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. What comfort do you receive from the article about the life everlasting? Since I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, I shall after this life possess perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, a blessedness in which to praise God forever. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, a number of years ago, I attended a high school graduation ceremony at a, a public high school in BC. A friend was graduating, uh, graduating and invited me to the event. I was somewhat interested to go simply to see how uh, this public school would celebrate their graduation. I had attended many graduations at Christian schools but never won at public school. Now, at one point in the ceremony, a small group of students from the graduating class uh, sang a song, and the lyrics of that song went like this. Uh, We're here for a good time, not a long time, so have a good time. The sun can't shine every day. I'm sure many of you, perhaps of the older generations here, are familiar with that song. You know what, it's, it's actually a catchy tune. And some of the students, they were great singers. But as they were singing that song with those lyrics in the graduation, I couldn't help but think to myself, oh, this is, this is kind of depressing. Uh, is that all you have to sing about in this moment? We're here for a good time, not a long time. So have a good time, the sun can't shine every day. However, if you don't have hope beyond this life, that sort of uh, thing easily becomes your perspective. We're here not for a long time, so just make the most of the time you have now. uh, Eat, drink, and be be merry for tomorrow we die. You see, in our culture, death is often hidden from view. Perhaps some of us have never even seen a dead body before, a dead person. But it's a reality that we can't just sing away with a merry tune. Death is reality in this world. Sooner or later, we will come face to face with that reality. Of course, that's not nice to think about. But as believers, we never need to give in to despair In fact, we can live with joy, even though death is a reality in this world, 
We can live with joy because of the sure hope we have in Jesus Christ, and that's also what we hope to see this afternoon. And so I appreciate God's word this afternoon under the following theme and points. In the face of death, God comforts us with the hope of the resurrection and life everlasting. We have uh, two points, the certainty of the resurrection and life everlasting, and second of all, the, the comfort of the resurrection and life everlasting. So we're studying uh, scripture uh, through the lens of Lord's Day 22, and uh, this Lord's Day before, this, before us this afternoon, it often sparks the most questions in catechism class, questions such as, you know, on the new heavens and new earth, will, are we all going to be uh, 20 years old? Uh, and also, in eternal life, will we be able to recognize each other from, from this life? I'm sure many of you have those questions as, all, uh, as well. And to give you a spoiler alert, I'm not going to answer those questions this afternoon. But yeah, oftentimes those questions arise in our minds. However, questions are not the only thing that can arise in our minds as we study these things. Uh, doubts can also arise in our hearts also. Doubts such as, will I really escape the grave after I die? Or will I really be accepted by God into heaven at the moment of my death? And perhaps one reason these doubts arise is because of the finality of it all. Once your life is finished, you're on earth, there's no going back. Eternity begins. So maybe we wonder, what's going to happen to me when I die? That's why in this first point, we will focus on the certainty of the resurrection and life everlasting for believers. We have to know the certainty of it. And we see this certainty in our reading from 1 Thessalonians 4. In this passage, God the Holy Spirit gives us assurance of the future resurrection of believers the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, says, We do, do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep, that is, those who have died in the Lord. Now, this sentence, uh, grammatically, is in the negative. We don't want you to be uninformed about those who have fallen asleep. But we could word it in the positive also. Maybe that brings the sense a little clearer, we could translate or word it like this. We want you to know for sure what happens to believers who die. Or we want you to understand, without a doubt, what will happen to believers in the future. See, perhaps uh, it seems like the Thessalonian church had questions, as we often do, about believers who had already died. Or perhaps Paul simply thought it was prudent to write about this, but in any case, the point is that the Holy Spirit wants this firmly in our hearts, in our minds. Here, he's teaching us through this passage, he wants us to hold unwavering to the hope 
of the future resurrection of those who believe in Jesus Christ. That includes you who believe in Christ. There are many reasons why he wants this for us. But there are two specific reasons given in this passage, 1 Thessalonians 4. There's one at the beginning and one at the end. The one at the beginning is this. We want you to know this for sure so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. And then the one at the end. We want you to know this for sure so that you who are living may encourage one another with these truths. Encourage one another. Encourage each other when fellow believers die in the Lord. So as the people who belong to Christ, we still have to face the death of fellow believers. And that, and we will all face death one day ourselves unless the Lord returns first. And that is... The sad thing, death is still an enemy. But how do we as Christians face death? We can do it in the sure confidence of the hope of the gospel of Christ. See, this is one reason why the Holy Spirit inspired this passage. So that we would not doubt wants us to be certain. You don't need to grieve as others do who have no hope. Encourage each other with the coming resurrection of the dead. It's that certain so you can speak about it, speak about it with each other, to each other, with certainty. And why can we do that? Why can we have that certainty? Well, we need to get this part right. Because if we don't get this part right, the, the basis for our hope, then we will have no hope at all. You see, this hope does not come from wishing upon a shooting star or something like that. We're not spouting off empty phrases when we're encouraging each other about the future resurrection of believers who have died. Now, our hope is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is how 1 Thessalonians puts it. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep, that you may not grieve as others do, who have no hope. And why? For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So you can see in those words, our confidence is not based on ourselves in any way. Our confidence is based on Christ, on his finished work, on his death and resurrection. The certainty of the future resurrection of believers is based on Jesus' death and resurrection. He has secured it for believers. See, what is the gospel or the good news of Christ all about? The gospel is a message. It means good news. It's a message of the reality of Jesus' death and resurrection in history. And what 
those events achieved for you who believe. Christ Jesus died on a cross just outside of Jerusalem. After his death, he was buried. And on the third day, he arose again from the dead. Those are the events in history. And what did those events achieve? Well, Christ Jesus effected salvation for us. By his death on the cross, he has paid for our sins in full. By his resurrection, he has overcome death for us and won for us eternal life. And that is the great need of this world. The great need of all people in this world is to overcome death. It's an enemy everyone faces and will face in their life unless the Lord returns before we die. There's simply no getting around it. And the great hope in this world, in fact, the only hope in the face of death is in the one who overcame death, our Lord Jesus Christ. See, despite its cold, lethal grip, death could not keep its hands on Jesus. It was impossible that the righteous one, the perfectly righteous one, could remain dead. He did not belong in the grave. And so all our hope for resurrection and eternal life is in Christ. Now, in our reading from Isaiah 25, we see a contrast between the strong and the weak. We see there that the Lord brings down this powerful oppressor, the strong. But it says the Lord is a stronghold for the weak. Uh, the strong rely on their own strength. The weak cry out to God for help and are helped. The thing is, everyone's strength will fail eventually. The strength of the powerful, no matter how powerful they might be in this life, at certain points, uh, their power is decimated by death. It doesn't matter how strong someone is. And that means that in the face of death, the only thing we can do is come to God in humility. Recognize our weakness and our sin. And rely completely on our Creator He alone has the power to raise the dead. It's only the power of God that can overcome death. And so all we can say is, Lord, I've sinned against you. I am weak. I am sinful. I need you. I can't save myself. Have mercy on me in Jesus Christ. And in Christ, we will receive mercy. God gave us his son for this very purpose. And so he recreates us. He he will resurrect us in Christ. Listen again to 1 Thessalonians 4. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. It's the sure promise of God. God's word is always sure. It's faithful. Think of what... God said to Adam in the garden, In the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. 
we know that that word was dependable, it was faithful, it was true. But, likewise, the word of the gospel is likewise true and faithful and sure and dependable. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you will have everlasting life. Those are dependable words, faithful. Facing death can be a scary thing. It's final. But we face it based on the sure promises of God in Jesus Christ. For when did God make a promise and then not fulfill it? When did God speak words and then turn his back on them? Never. As we read in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And so his resurrection guarantees our future resurrection. And you can notice both 1 Corinthians 15, which I just quoted, and 1 Thessalonians 4 describe how they describe the death of believers. They both say that believers have fallen asleep. Why do they use that term, fallen asleep? It's because those who die in the Lord, they still have life. As we confess in Lord's Day 22, I shall immediately after this life be taken up to Christ my head. Although their bodies rest in death, the situation is also not permanent. Believers will rise from the dead as surely as you rise in the morning again after a good sleep. Now in some sense we can talk this way about those who don't believe in Christ too. They will... Uh, rise from the dead, but to a a different state. And through Christ and in Christ, death has lost its its grip, its its sting, its power over believers. Just as the grave could not keep its hold on Christ, so it will not keep its grip on those in whom Christ now lives. That's how we face the death of loved ones who die in the Lord. Our focus is on Christ. That's also why we can look forward to the resurrection of the dead when Christ returns. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 4. When the Lord Jesus returns, he will descend with the cry of a command, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are left, that is alive on the earth, will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. And what an, what an awesome thing this is. This is really going to happen uh, if Christ comes back, maybe, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, who knows? If Christ comes back before you die, you will see the dead in Christ coming out of their graves. Isn't that amazing? It will happen. It will happen. Dead in Christ coming out of their graves. Uh, life will fail every believer who has died. Uh, their graves will burst open, and they're going to arise. And if you die before the Lord returns, one day you will be raised again at the return of Christ. And also, if you're still alive, you will see the Lord and you will meet the Lord in the air. This is going to happen, beloved. It is the wonder of the gospel that brings us to our last point. So the certainty of the resurrection and life everlasting never naturally gives way to the comfort this brings, and in some respects, 
Uh, we've already looked at the comfort, but there's more. And this is emphasized in uh, Lord's Day 22. Question 57 asks, what comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? And then question 58, what comfort do you receive from the article about the life everlasting? And we need this comfort. You know, this, this life has been described by some as a veil of tears. And in our form for baptism, uh, the prayer in the form for baptism, it calls this life uh, no more than a constant death. Now, those sound like very negative descriptions of life. And indeed, there are many good things we get to enjoy in this world. And as Christians, we certainly don't need to live somber lives wearing a constant frown. We can have joy. But yet, there's still something about those descriptions there. This life is a veil of tears, no more than a constant death. And I'm sure as you get older, you can't help but come face to face with the brokenness of life and the pain and the suffering of this life and also the reality of death in this, in this life. But in the middle of that brokenness, we have this glorious comfort. Lord say 22 describes these twin comforts in this way, regarding the resurrection first. Not only shall my soul after this life immediately be taken up to Christ my head, but also this my flesh, raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my flesh and made like Christ's glorious body. Reunited with my soul, sorry, made like Christ's glorious body. And then the life everlasting, since I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, shall, after this life, possess perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, a blessedness in which to praise God forever. That's the comfort described in Lord's Day 22. It's also the comfort we find in Scripture. And one good example is our reading from Isaiah 25. Uh, this passage from Isaiah has many of the, these themes running through its verses. In verse 7 we read, The Lord will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all peoples. And this covering is the covering of the curse. See, death hangs like a cloud over all humanity, over this world. Here we read, the Lord will swallow it up. This does not mean that no one will, uh, will not experience the curse. We know for sure it will happen to those who refuse to repent and believe. But for us who believe, this dark cloud will be removed. And in a sense, it already is removed in Christ, but... The finality of it will come when Christ returns. It will be removed forever. As verse 8 declares, God will swallow up death forever. And it's a, it's a stunning image. Death swallowed up at the resurrection. You know, think about death. I don't know if you've uh, seen someone in the process of dying. It's very difficult. You see, death, as it were, it... 
God swallows it up. It uh, swallows us up. It eats up our flesh. Uh, it, it grips us with its cruel teeth and refuses to let go. And I know that sounds gruesome, but it's, it's the stark and awful reality of death. And if you have ever witnessed someone die, it really is death swallowing up someone's life. And facing death and seeing loved ones attacked by death is, is hard. You know, people who were once so strong, who did so many wonderful things uh, with their bodies during their life, ravaged by death. And it is a reason to grieve also. And make no mistake, Christians are allowed to grieve when someone dies. I do not... Uh, be taken in by someone who says, well, Christians cannot grieve at death. No, we may grieve the death of a loved one. And 1 Thessalonians 4 does not say that Christians do not grieve, uh, but it says we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Why do we grieve? Uh, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. It's because death, which swallows all people in its cruel mouth, will be swallowed up by God. Our bodies, thrown down into the grave by death, will be raised up again by God. And at the resurrection, our bodies will be made to be like Christ's glorious body. Christ cannot die again, and we will be like that, never able to die. Never able to suffer or experience pain. Never able to sin again. That's also why Isaiah 25 immediately says, The Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. God wiping away all the tears we have uh, cried in this life. And that comes back in Revelation 21 about the new Jerusalem. God himself will be with us as our God. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. God lovingly coming to us, wiping away every tear you have shed in your life. Now I think of the parents among us. I'm sure most of the parents here have come to their child as they're crying and wiped away their children's tears. Perhaps you've had it as, as a child, too. You hurt yourself, experience some kind of pain. The tears come, you cry, and your dad, your mom, lovingly comes to you and, and comforts you, wipes away those tears. And that's what our Heavenly Father will lovingly do for us. By His marvelous power and goodness, those past hurts that maybe hurt you every day, they will no longer hurt. In His love, the veil of tears will be removed. Your sorrow and sadness gone. And we might wonder, how will that be? I, I don't want to just put a smile on my face 
and act like the pain in my life isn't actually painful. Indeed, it's a mystery how, how God will do this. He will do it. He will do it in a marvelous way. Crying, suffering will, will be no more. And this is why we hold on to what God declares in Isaiah 25, verse 9. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. And God does make us wait. And waiting for God can be so hard. Uh, So often God's timing is not our own timing. And at times we might wonder why God does not act sooner as we're going through suffering. Here we have the sure promise of God. Those who wait for the Lord will not be put to shame. As it says, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. So waiting for God is worth it. Waiting for him to act waiting for him to fulfill his promises as we go through pain. Listen again to 1 Thessalonians 4 about the return of the Lord. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. We will always be with the Lord. At all times, enjoying the fullness of God's love shining down on us. At all times, filled with joy and peace. At all times, we will praise our God. See, there's one thing that's sorely lacking from this world. It's peace. When we are at, when we are with the Lord forever, peace will never leave us, never leave our hearts. Not only will we always be with the Lord, we will always be with each other too. No more being apart, no more loneliness, no more death to separate us from ones we love, we'll all be gone. And that will be a cause for, for celebration, cause for feasting, as Isaiah 25 says. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. We're going to celebrate, beloved. We will celebrate. You know, we have a saying that all good things must come to an end. That is true in this life. All good things must come to an end, but it's not true in eternal life. In eternal life, all bad things must come to an end, and they will come to an end. And all good things must uh, continue and only increase forever and ever and ever. That is our future, beloved. As I was writing this sermon, couldn't help but think of a song I'd Heard some time ago, I listened to it again this past week. It's a song by a Christian artist named Sandra McCracken. It's called, We Will Feast. 
And I'll leave you with the refrain of that song, which says, We will feast in the house of Zion. We will sing with our hearts restored. He has done great things. We will say together, we will feast and weep no more. Amen. Let us now respond to the preaching of God's word by singing hymn 68, the stanzas 1, 4, 6, and 8.